All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. This is now the second episode that we're doing of this podcast, Think Again About God. I really want to just jump right in and, and dive into um, this uh, this topic I'm very excited for. Um, but just so everyone understands, I believe that the most important thing about a person's life is the way that they see and understand God. It, it is it is the framework through which you will interpret this reality. And so who is God to you? It matters. It really, it really matters. Because I think that the the different types of depravity that we see in the world today is really a product of a person's view of God. So, I mean, all you really have to do is take a look at how a person sees God in a particular area, and you'll understand a little bit more of the depravity that exists in that in, in that area. Um, and so, is God, is he Allah, is he Buddha, is he Krishna, is it Yahweh? And then if it's Yahweh, then then how is, how do you see, how do you see God? Is it through Jesus, or is it through the Mosaic Law, um, or is there no God at all? Because your whether you believe in God or not, your belief system frames your the way you your paradigm. It shapes your viewpoints and the way you live and work and move and have your being in this world. And so it matters. It really, it really does matter. And as a pastor, uh, one of the greatest privileges that I that I have is um, I love to hear people's stories. I love to hear where people have come from, what they've journeyed through, and I love seeing how people, when they hear the gospel and they hear about the love and the goodness of God, um, how it transforms people's lives. Because, well, <laughs> I have given up trying to change people. I really have. Um, I just just talk about God and His goodness, and then God does the work. You know, when they when they whether they choose to accept that reality or not of who he is but i, I just i've just given up i've given up just trying to you know this is how you need to live i i don't i don't preach like that i just tell people who i think god is and i, I love seeing the fruits of people's lives when they come into the, to that reality and so um i think that there are a lot of misconceptions in the church today a lot of mixed messages and i hate mixed messages i really do i really do not like it when the bible is taken out of context uh, not that I have all the answers. I know I don't. Um, but uh, I think that there are some real negative views uh, about about God that just portray him in a wrong way. And I think that when God is portrayed in a wrong way, is that it, it brings bondage to people. Um, I mean, you read this, and we, we will get more into the Mosaic Covenant um, but 2 Corinthians 3, 15 through 16, it says, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over people's hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And even reading from the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, we don't, if we don't read and interpret the scriptures uh, and exegete it correctly, um, you know, to exegete the Bible is to draw the meaning out. To eisegete the Bible is to put meaning into it. And we don't want to do that. We want to exegete it. So we want to look at the culture. We want to look at the covenants. We want to look at the time frame. Um, there, there, we want to look at the language. There's so much to look at when, when interpreting the scriptures. And so uh, the Mosaic law, when we don't understand it, 
uh, when we don't read the Bible in light of that covenant, what we're doing is we people get blinded from seeing the reality of who God is because the Mosaic Law wasn't a covenant that reflected the heart of God. It was a covenant that reflected the heart of the people at that time because they had rejected what God initially wanted. And so uh, there's just so much. Um, and before I get sidetracked, I really need to uh, kind of zone in on what I want to talk about right now. Um, but Here's something that everyone should know about me. Um, I hate balloons. <laughs> and that sounds weird. Um, I have I have four young kids who, especially when they're a lot younger, you know, if you, I couldn't just get one balloon, right? Because then there would be like fights would break out. I couldn't get just two balloons or three balloons. It always has to be an equal number of balloons. There has to be four balloons, one for each kid. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, these, the kids will just go, they'll go nuts. And I've got great kids, they, but they just, I don't know. Balloons, they just stir up evil. I don't know. <laughs> I but I, I, I love I, I, I love my kids, but I just hate balloons. I do. And um one day I just I just remember I kind of like I put a ban on balloons in our house. Um just because they used to drive us crazy because the moment someone's balloon popped, then oh well I want a balloon and they have a balloon and why can't I have a balloon? It's like, well you popped yours, so tough. <laughs> but I just remember I I put it like a, a temporary ban on balloons. The ban's gone, okay, but just bear with me. My daughter really wanted a, a, a balloon and and uh and it was her birthday, and, you know, it's just like we've got streamers, you know, we've got all these other decorations. Like, do you really need a balloon? And so I'm doing the dishes, and I see her outside. Now, she's like, I think she's like four or five at this point in time, my daughter Kezia. And and she's she's standing outside, and she's kind of like, I don't know, looking off in the distance. And so I go outside. And I say to her, you know, Kezia, what are you doing, sweetie? And she says, I'm praying. I was like, oh, you know, as a dad, you're like, oh, she's praying. It's wonderful. I said, well, what are you praying for? And she goes, um, I'm praying that Jesus will give me a balloon. And like, oh, my gosh. I mean, my heart just kind of like melted. Um, and I felt horrible. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm a horrible parent. Um, and so, uh, so I... Uh, I remember telling this story to the church, my church, and they all like booed at me. Um, so, <laughs> I, I we're, we're kind of like standing there together, and and I, I see her kind of looking off in the distance. I said, what, "What are you looking at, sweetie?" And she points with her little fingers, and and off in the distance, no joke, there is this little this little dot in the sky, blue sky, and um. And it's floating, it's, well, it's moving our way. And we, we have like this field in our backyard with this tree line and, and, and the balloon is really high up and it's over the tree line. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I guess like a gust of wind happened and it, it blew this thing closer to us. And as you looked and saw, it was, it was a balloon. This is a true story, I kid you not, okay? So this balloon, it it uh, it starts you know floating our way, still very high up in this in the sky, and and uh, I guess 
I guess Kezi and I kind of just standing there watching got the the rest of the family really curious about what was going on. So, you know, eventually (laughs) all six of us, my wife and our four kids were all standing outside just like staring at the sky. And this, this balloon, it comes over the tree line and it drops down over the tree line and it, and it slowly moves its way over to our yard that's gated and and um, comes over our gate and lands in our backyard. No joke. Now, my daughter Kezia runs up, grabs the balloon, and without even really, like she just bursts out yelling, Jesus got me a balloon! He got me a balloon! And I'm, I'm like, Oh my goodness. And and not only that, the balloon were her favorite colors. It, w- it was white, but it also had green and pink, which are her two favorite colors. And so she's like, starts start screaming, Jesus got me a balloon. Jesus got me a balloon. And she's so excited. And she brings it to me and she says, Daddy, it says something on the front. What does it say? And she turns it to me and it says, I love you. No joke. This happened. And she's like, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Right? And I am just blown away. And she's so excited. And, and I, you know what? In the stoop that I was in, right, I, look, I lean over my wife quietly. And I'm like, you know, because the balloon was slightly deflated. And I was like, Jesus wouldn't give her a deflated balloon. Uh, there's no way. And so, and so she... You know, it was a little bit cold outside. Her birthday is in the beginning of May, and so it was it was still a little bit cold. And and so we she brings the balloon inside our house where it's nice and warm. And all of a sudden the balloon just inflates and floats up to the top of our ceiling, which now I gotta get a ladder to get it down because we have really high ceilings in one part of our house. <laughs> But, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, she just so easily received the message. I mean, she just picked it up instantly. It's like faith like a child. She just, Jesus, the balloon came from Jesus, sent her a simple message, I love you, and she just totally believes it. And here I am in my stoop where I'm just like, this is not from Jesus. I mean, this is ridiculous. And I can't believe this thing just accidentally floated over here and landed in our yard. And it's just like I was missing the message because that's what we do. I think we complicate things. I think we complicate the message. And then as soon as I saw this thing like inflate and float up, I I, I knew. I was just like, oh, my gosh. I just like fell on my knees and repented right there. I was like, Jesus, forgive me. I was such an idiot. (laughs) So... But I mean, that's what we do. It's just it, my my daughter. She got the message. It was such a simple message. I love you. And what do we do? We we complicate things. We're so good at complicating the message. We really are. And I, I think the same thing holds true when it comes to um, our uh, the the message of of the gospel. I think we complicate things. I think Jesus really, he wanted to make it so simple, but we, we just complicate everything. And, you know, so I guess like here's the, the premise of, of this whole, what am I doing? This, this whole, um, this, this, uh, this podcast, that's the word. Um, it's, I believe that the most important thing about you is the way that you see God, but we've, we take the scriptures and I think we complicate them. 
For example, right? There are a lot of different. There's a lot. There's so many different songs that we sing, and there's there's this there's this one song in particular. I you know what I'm I'm not gonna name it, but there's we we I, I've heard this preached in church so often, especially around Easter. Um, we get this we get this one scripture verse, right? It's it's from Matthew 27 verse 46, and it says about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, "Ela ela lema sabachthani," which is, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And so, we have this message in churches today that at the cross, Jesus he took on the sin of the world. And God was, God couldn't look on his son because God, he is offended or he's abhorred by sin. It's disgusting to him. And so he turns his back on his son. And so, you know, as a parent, like I could understand like God turning his back on his, on his son just because he just couldn't bear to watch. But that's not what's taught. What's taught in churches today is that God, in his you know, holiness and righteousness, looks at his son and sees him in all, all of the world's filth. And because of that, he turns his back on his son, but in order to fully embrace us. Now, I have a big problem with this. I mean, I don't know if you catch this or not. Hopefully you do. But <laughs> what we're saying and what we're telling people is that God the Father abandoned his son in, in his hour of need. I mean, think about this. God abandons God abandoned his son in his hour of need because he can't look at sin. He's disgusted by sin, which means he would be disgusted by sinners. A little bit of a whistle there. Okay. But here's the problem. We have one scripture verse that says, that makes it look like, rather, that God the Father and God the Son were separated at the cross. One. One scripture verse. At least as far as I see. But then we have... We have um, all these other scripture verses that say that the Father and the Son are together, that they're one, that they planned this together, that they were in this together. So how can we take one scripture verse that says that they were separated and blow the rest of them to the wind? You can't do that in theology. You just can't. In fact... I mean, here, Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Jesus, he, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. He rightly represents the Father. Colossians 1.15 says that he is the image, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. All right. If you read, uh, if you read John chapter uh, John chapter one verse eighteen, it says, "No one has ever seen God." And then there's like a semicolon. It says, "The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known." 
John, John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father. No one, or basically no one sees the Father except through me, through Jesus. And Philip's like, show us, show us the Father and it's enough for us. And he says, I've been with you this whole time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am. I am in the Father and the Father's in me. I mean, if you read John, if you read John 17, it's the highly priestly prayer, and it's all about the Father and the Son being one. I'm in the Father and the Father's are in me, and we are one. And it's they were together. Now here's the thought. Jesus rightly represents who the Father is, right? He's the image of the invisible God. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. If you want to get to know the Father, you always have to look at the Son. And then we find that Jesus is called a friend of sinners. He ate with them. He was buddies. They were buddies. He was numbered amongst them. What Jesus came to do was he came to make the Father known. That was his mission. So if Jesus' mission was to make the Father known because he rightly represents who the Father is, he's the image of the invisible God, he's the exact imprint of God's nature, no one comes to the Father, no one sees the Father except through Jesus. If, if, this is, if Jesus is called a friend of sinners and he came to make the Father known, how can God be so disgusted with sin when Jesus is called a friend of sinners and he came to make the Father known? If you want to know the Father, you, we, we always, we always, always have to look at the Son. So, how can we say that God looked on His Son and was so disgusted with Him on the cross because God can't look at sin when His Son rightly represents who He is and He came to be a friend to sinners? That makes no sense. That is a contradiction. So on the cross, why do we have this understanding that God looked away? I mean, if, if, if he's not so disgusted with sin, I mean, obviously he doesn't like sin. Sin is not good. Okay, let's, clear, let's make that clear. All right. Um, but he came to set people free from sin. But how could he not look on his boy? Right? We have one scripture verse that says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all the scripture verses that we have where they are one, the Father and the Son are one, we blow them to the wind as if God and the Father, as if God the Father and God the Son were at odds at the cross. Were they? This was planned. You know what? If you take your Bible... And you look at you look at you look at Matthew twenty seven verse forty six. There'll be a little asterisk, or there'll be a little indicator right there. And if you go down to the bottom of your Bible, wherever the key is, I guess, and and you you look at the same indicator, it's going to point you to Psalms twenty two verse one. You know what Psalm twenty two verse one says? This is the way it starts. It says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" I think this is a this is a psalm of David. It's a messianic psalm, and I think David probably felt this way a lot. But God was always with him. And this is a messianic psalm that describes what Jesus would go through. And so, and, and we have to understand something here. This psalm prophesied of what Jesus would one day endure. 
And the educational system of Jesus' time was based off of the scriptures. Everyone would have known this psalm, or at least most many would have been familiar with it. They would have heard this before. And, and also, to quote at that time, historically, we have, to, we have to exegete the Bible historically. In order to, in that time period, to quote the first line of a psalm, was to draw attention to the whole thing. And in the state of, that Jesus is in on the cross right now, he's not going to quote the entire psalm. No, he's going to give them the first line to draw attention to it. Why? Well, there's some important things to look at. Psalms 22, 14 through 18, he says, I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Wait a second. Did, were David's hands and feet pierced? I mean, David's writing this. And he goes on. He says, I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. He is David, King David. He is writing a prophetic psalm, a messianic psalm that is depicting what Jesus would one day go through. And Jesus is on the cross now trying to draw attention to everyone of what's taking place. He isn't saying God the Father and God the Son are separated. No, 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 no. He's saying Psalms 22 is being fulfilled right in your viewing. <laughs> That's one of those oh snap moments, right? We just crucified the Son of God. And actually, you know what? If you continue on in that psalm, Psalm 22, verse 24, it's amazing. Read it. It says, well, I'll read it too. Here it comes. It says, For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Oh my goodness. Wait a second. Are we actually saying that God didn't turn his back on his son? That's exactly what we're saying. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. That's Psalms 22 verse 24. Look at what it says here. He has not despised or abhorred. He, the Father, God, has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And then it goes on, and he has not hidden his face from him. It's interesting that the pronoun that is used for affliction is a him. Because Jesus is the affliction of the afflicted. Or 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin for us. He became the affliction of the afflicted. And God has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. This is a beautiful thing. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Listen to this. All this is from God, who through Christ 
reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. God the Father and God the Son are one. Okay, they were together. They had planned this together. And God the Father was in Christ the Son with arms stretched wide, reconciling the world to himself through his Son, not counting their trespasses against against us, but he was entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. He was welcoming the world home. God did not abandon his Son on the cross because if that's what we believe, if we believe that God abandoned his Son at the cross, why in the world should we feel secure in the fact that God would never abandon us if he abandoned his only Son? It's a contradiction. And it paints God the Father out to be horrible. Oh, they can't look on sin. He's his son who rightly rightly represents who he is, is called a friend of sinners, and he came to make the Father known. Of course he can look at sin. He loves you just the way you are. He just loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. And also... That God the Father would abandon people like that. Is that who he is? I refuse to believe that. God is a loving Father. He's an ever-present help in time of need. Emmanuel, he is God with us. He doesn't abandon us. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's certainly not going to abandon or forsake his son. He was with him. They were in this together. Jesus was simply trying to draw attention to the psalm of what was taking place in everyone's viewing. But here we are over 2,000 years later and we've created an entire theology around one scripture verse. You can't do that. For he has not despised, which is also to say he has not looked away. So twice in one scripture verse, he says, I have not looked away. Psalms 22 verse 24, for he has not despised, he has not looked away or poured the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but heard when he cried to him. This is who our God is. The most important thing about you is the way that you see him. And as Paul prays in Ephesians, he says, he says um, that the God of glory would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Knowing God is the very best thing and it's the most important thing, but may you see him rightly for who he is. He doesn't abandon. He's always with us. He never leaves. He never forsakes you. So I hope this has been a blessing to you. 
Go look up the scripture verses for yourself. (laughs) Have a great day, everyone. Be encouraged. God loves you. Amen.